Welcome back, Intimates. I'm excited to find you experts to talk about love, connection, non-monogamy, polyamory, relationship anarchy, group sex, kink, commitment, and lots of other intimacy and relationship topics. Let's live our best lives together by unlearning stigma and getting clear on what we really want. Don't know what to ask for? I have loads of ideas for you. Of course, none of this would be possible without the support of my amazing Patreon supporters or my current hosts, the Musqueam First Nation on whose unceded lands this podcast was made and this human was born. If you want to support more intimate interactions, you can say thank you by supporting us on Patreon for as little as $1 a month. Patreon supporters also get every episode of the podcast ad-free with short intros and outros. I know funds are not an option for some of you lovely humans, but don't fret, there are other ways you can help out. You can help make more intimate interactions by just telling someone you listen to this podcast. Or if you're feeling especially generous, you can share a link to an episode you like and discuss it with a friend or partner, or even leave us a review on iTunes or your favorite podcasting site. Help other humans interested in more intimacy and better relationships find us. If you have your own podcast, shout us out. Need a podcast guest? Email offers to podcast at victorsalmon.com. I love talking about relationships and intimacy, and I love cross-promotion and working with other podcasters. Okay, let's hear about today's episode. Chronic conditions are rarely easy. It's a seemingly permanent change to the quality of your life. It's also a change to your habits and behaviors. It is literally a change to the range of all the things you can do and the experience you have on this planet for the rest of your time here. Sometimes the conditions are long-term and treatable, but other times there's literally nothing you can do. Today we're talking with Charisma, a former addict and HSV-positive person, about her anxiety and depression. We talk about social acceptance, but we'll dig into stigma primarily in a different episode. Today we focus more on depression and anxiety as chronic conditions. I'm excited to chat more about mental health with an old friend with whom I haven't caught up in years. Welcome to another session of Intimate Interactions. My guest today is Charisma. She uses she, her pronouns, volunteers with her union, and is a, I would say, fairly long-standing practitioner of kink that you've been in and around the kink community publicly, and you've been practicing privately probably a lot longer, I would take it. Quite a few years now, yeah. Cool. Um, did you want to talk a little bit about anxiety? I'm interested to share a bit about anxiety before we start into chronic pain and chronic illness, because anxiety is a form of chronic illness. Sure, yeah. Or at least it can be. (laughs) Definitely. And for me, I can say I've definitely been dealing with anxiety and depression for many, many years, Um, probably since as long as I can remember being a kid. Sure. Um, So, but it's definitely grown and changed over the years. Um. I know, uh, like for me, public speaking and um, (laughs) just being recorded gives me anxiety. So I'm kind of working through that right now. Um, But it's it's definitely something that's affected various aspects of my life over the years. And I would definitely consider it a chronic illness for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've I've had depression for as long as I can remember. Mm -hmm. Um, First time seriously thinking about and like actually investigating plans to kill myself out of seven like mm-hmm. it's it's things most people don't relate to because they didn't get suicidal until they were a teenager mm-hmm. so for me to be suicidal like yeah that young is like it's not something that a lot of folks relate to mm-hmm. definitely yeah chronic illness is one of those things it's like 
regardless of what things bring it on, once you're there, it, you tend to relate better with other people with chronic illness, whether that's mental health or not. Mm-hmm. And, us- and usually one can lead to another too. If you have anxiety for your whole life, mm-hmm. IBS is like, I wouldn't say a foregone conclusion, but like they're correlated as like, there's a crazy correlationship between the two of them. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I'm just cleaning up a spill of tea. <laughs> but uh so you said um depression as well yeah yeah depression is definitely something i've struggled with over the years um and you know what it's it's actually come up again it, like pretty relatively recent in my life and over the last couple years so it's snuck back into my life in different forms so i'm kind of just trying different things to help cope with just everyday um, experiences and and basically the things that other people in the world consider the small stuff. Like for me, the small stuff in everyday life can be a trigger to a a greatly um, (laughs) emotional down spiral um, that could last anywhere from a few minutes to a few hours to a few days. So it just depends on what that trigger was or how severe it was or what my mood was like before that trigger came about. So sure. How have you sort of managed depression in your life? Like what have you tried and what have the results been for you? You know, as some people know about me that I've talked to, um, I've struggled with different issues in the past, like drugs and alcohol have definitely been a thing of my past. And, um, and so I know the struggle there, and those unhealthy coping mechanisms that I've tried and and um and I've also done a lot of work on myself over the years and um and tr- I've done a lot of um different techniques for like self-help in situations where I'm feeling high anxiety or where I'm feeling super depressed and I just want to isolate away from everybody and um it's funny because when I want to isolate the most is usually when I have like a couple people just reaching out so hard to me that you're just like, no, I don't want you to be alone. So I feel really grateful to have a lot of uh, wonderful supports in my life that have helped me get through some tough times. So I don't know if I would have made it through some hard times in my life without some people helping me along. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah. It's hard to not bring myself to what I'm grateful for in moments where I'm feeling depressed and and low on myself and hard on myself because I am very hard on myself. Um, I'm definitely my worst critic with everything in life. So That's, that's pretty common for depressed <laughs> people, though. Yeah, it's definitely um, a struggle when you're fighting yourself every day. So Yeah, I empathize with that. <laughs> Yeah, it's a little exhausting. Um, But yeah, so I don't know. I've kind of learned that I have a brain that kind of wants to kill me at times and wants to put me down and wants to take the wind out of my sails and, and wants me to feel like a victim and, and on and on it goes. So um, I have a lot of awareness um, because I've done so much work on my mental health issues and, um, 
and why I chose to turn to drugs and alcohol in the first place and and those kind of deep-rooted issues, childhood traumas and whatnot. So um, there's a lot of contributing factors and and that's why I like to consider like mental illness, like depression and anxiety to be on spectrums. Um, you know, like I've only just actually recently in the last couple of years been diagnosed with general anxiety disorder. And to me, I think it's just a nice blanket term. Like it, it covers a lot of broad spectrum anxiety disorders and that's great. But um, like my anxiety comes out in different ways. Like I have anxiety with public speaking and things where I feel put on the spot. Um, I have physical anxiety symptoms that I struggle with on a daily basis where mm -hmm. I just feel like my skin is crawling and I'm so uncomfortable. And the more I think about it, the worse it gets. And the worse it gets, the more I think about it. And it's just this vicious cycle that I'm dealing with. So I would say it's definitely chronic for me and, and a lot of people and that it's a ongoing thing and I deal with it on a regular basis if not daily so even just listening to you describe anxiety symptoms my immediate gut reaction was god I want to go play Witcher 3 right now yeah and it's not strictly because I really enjoy the game though I do it's because like when I'm feeling anxious avoiding those feelings is one of the easiest ways to reset my my body and help me mm -hmm. regulate which is mm -hmm. not a healthy or very functional coping strategy like it works when mm -hmm. you're part-time employed like i am but like long term it's not a great strategy mm -hmm. eventually the game has an end <laughs> well yeah it's, and then you just it's find true but i think that with gaming um and and same with the drugs and alcohol like um mm. It's a means of escapism, right? Totally. It's a means of you don't want to deal with the feelings, so it's a nice distraction, right? And it's it's different than just playing because escapism can be fun sometimes because mm -hmm. now you're talking about avoiding essential feelings you need to feel and process. Mm -hmm. Just like, God, why is life garbage? <laughs> because growth is so uncomfortable. It is. Growth is so uncomfortable. It's like change. Most people, you get comfortable in your routine, and as soon as something comes along and changes your routine, it's like just kind of throws your whole world upside down, you know? Totally. Are you familiar with um, Octavia Butler? Mm, no. Uh, she is the um, black science fiction writer who writes about um, social issues, race issues, power issues in society, gender mm -hmm. issues, and writes about all of them through the lens of science fiction. And okay. uses the inherent power dynamic between aliens and humans to model other disparities in the world. Mm -hmm. It's a really clever approach to social justice style writings. And it's really interesting and fun to read and very intelligently written. There's yes. a reason she it won. It sounds almost like surrealistic in a sense. Sure. I think some science, I think a lot of science fiction is, yeah. 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 I, what I find so interesting about her science fiction is the way that it um, effectively feels speculative even though it's not hmm. so what i mean by that is as a person with a degree in biology listening to her write about um aliens that had the power to like genetically modify things they could touch i didn't find anything that she said glaringly unbelievable nothing really burst the illusion for me and that's very uncommon when i read science fiction about biology stuff so i was mm -hmm. really happy but i originally mentioned her for a very good reason and i've completely absolutely forgotten that I'm so sorry. What were you talking about? We were talking about, was it anxiety? <laughs> yeah, just anxiety and depression and and skin crawling and Thank you. symptoms yes. and the daily struggles. 
I also got three and a half hours of sleep last night. So like my ability to track reality right now is not great. (laughs) And part of that is because I was feeling super anxious last night. Mm -hmm. So like brain fog can be a result of depression or maybe I just didn't sleep, which may be a result of depression or anxiety. But in Mm -hmm. either way, I end up in this place where I'm not super functional. So sincerest of apologies to you and the poor audience who's listening. That's like, no, it was, uh, don't you remember saying this thing like 90 seconds ago? And I'm like, no, I don't. (laughs) I don't remember that. It might as well have not happened. Yeah. Um, And I decided to start strong and go um, improvised for our, for our content this episode. So we're focusing on um, chronic pain and illness. And then later we'll touch on um, all the, so we're touching on all the different forms of chronic pain and illness, which includes things like depression and anxiety, and also includes things like STIs and talking about the intersection of, of those things and mm-hmm. non-monogamy, which I think is a really fascinating topic personally. Absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah. So what have you been able to try for anxiety? Um, for anxiety... Recently, I've been kind of trying because my anxiety has been quite high lately and um, almost like debilitating at times. Like um, I know a lot of people struggle with this similarly to me is I am comfortable at home a lot of times and I like to isolate and I like to hermit and I don't want to like I want to be social and I want to be around friends, but I also don't want to leave my comfortable place and Mm -hmm. Um, step outside of that comfort zone and be out in public and be vulnerable with society. Mm -hmm. Typically the research says mindfulness can help, but it depends because some people with anxiety, mindfulness is like the worst thing they can do because then they're alone with their thoughts Mm -hmm. and their thoughts can be totally spirally and like it can be really... Yeah, totally. And, And I can relate to that in the sense that like, as I mentioned with my depression, I can definitely go down a spiral. My anxiety can definitely, um, become uh hypersensitive i guess Mm -hmm. i can work myself up over something so small um or just over going out in general um sometimes when it's bad so sure um but yeah i don't know um chronic pain's been something i've struggled with for many years now as well um i have like chronic back pain i have an overactive nervous system um my digestion is whack. <laughs> um, that's a that's a great way of putting it. Yeah. And my brain is definitely on another level too. So yeah, it's definitely never a dull moment. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but it is exhausting at the same time. Um, it's exhausting alone um, that I work a physical job. I'm in the trades. I'm in the construction industry. So um I already work a physically demanding job where I'm constantly having to problem solve and troubleshoot things throughout the day and always be on my feet mm-hmm. and come up with solutions on the fly. So, <clears throat> so I have that. And then, um, and then my whole chronic uh, mental illness that I'm struggling with and, and trying to manage the best I can. And, um, And I guess more specifically on what helps is that I've been trying is just breathing exercises incorporated Mm. with counting. Um, Because I find that just breathing, I'll kind of like take a couple breaths and then it dissipates and then I kind of think, okay, I'm fine and keep continue on with my life. But it's Mm -hmm. more like almost like a white knuckling solution. Got it. 
And then it's kind of just um, compartmentalized in for the moment. You're like pushing through it in a sense. Yeah. And it's not actually dealing with it or um, de-escalating it. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And then I find that when I do that and I do get triggered by something small, I can go from zero to 100 very quickly because I have all this, um, you know, compartmentalized anger and frustration and sadness and fear and whatever else I have stowed away um, that I haven't been properly dealing with. And then it all just kind of comes toppling down on top of me for something so, so silly. Like it can be anything that can trigger me. So I don't know, just something, something going wrong at work or something that I had planned that didn't go to plan or something, you know, something along those lines. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's just the everyday stuff that happens. It's just life on life's terms. But sometimes that's hard to cope with. Yeah, so. it can be overwhelming. Yeah. Yeah. Um, life on life's terms. That's a very interesting idea. There's always going to be the negative stuff that we can't control. I think one of the things I'm sort of learning in, in counseling right now is the idea of really, it's like the Rick Hansen sort of idea, the the heal um, methodology that he offers. Are you familiar with this? Uh, sort of. It's about like having a good experience mm-hmm. and then you, um, you experience it or uh, enhance it. You try and stay with the experience mm-hmm. um, and then you try and absorb the experience, which means you try to melt into the actual feeling and experience in an embodied way. Mm-hmm. So there's like, you have the experience first, then you try to like, Um, like emotionally engage with it or experience it or pull out the feelings and focus on them. And then the absorb step is more about like embodying what does my body feel like when I'm having that experience and really melting into it as it melts into you kind of deal. Hmm. Um, And then trying to have nothing but neutral experiences for about the hour afterwards to give your brain some time to like try and um, process it and stay with it. And if you're really practiced at this, you can, continue thinking about a positive moment for much of the day until something really negative happens. But, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, if you're going to have a really boring day at work, you can keep coming back to those really positive moments that you had in your morning. Like maybe it was a very beautiful sunset. You can try and remember specific colors or think about which colors really mattered. So there's like to you. So there's like the two steps in that. Like one of them is when a positive experience happens, try and sit with it as mindfully as possible for like 10 or 20 seconds. Like just Mm -hmm. try and practice like 15 to 20 seconds of mindfulness as you do your best to like sit in this place of awe and really be like, this is incredible. I can't believe I almost walked right past this. Like if it's a sunrise or something like that. Mm -hmm. And then the more you, you get skilled at practicing mindfulness, like on the spot like that, and just letting the awe kind of take you and then spending like 10 or 15 seconds breathing and just observing it and just trying to document all the bits and pieces of it. Um, I mean, document might be the wrong word. I try and do it without thinking of any words, but it might be easier to think of words and like think of descriptions that are really pretty and just stay with that feeling. Um, And it can be something like your coffee is just perfect. Mm -hmm. And so you take another sip and you think about all of the ways in which it's perfect. <laughs> yeah, you can totally have some. Um, yeah, take a break. I will I will talk your ear off. <laughs> it is what I'm good at doing, which is why I have a podcast. <laughs> um, but yeah, you sort of think about all of these powerful, but like really subtle positive things that you can choose to focus on more. Um, we have this mm-hmm. inherent negativity bias that really focuses on like, all the things going wrong. Like if you mm-hmm. have a coworker say, and your experiences in the day are like, 
you have some laughs over like um, coffee, over coffee break, and you have some laughs over lunch, and you have some pretty positive things throughout the day. You have some pretty negative interactions around work stuff, and you have like one kind of off or negative exchange that just feels kind of off kilter, mm-hmm. and you don't really resolve it, and you go home. What's the thing from the day you're going to be thinking about? You know, you're going to probably go to your problem-solving brain. You're probably going to bring that up and be like, how did that happen? Mm-hmm. How can I prevent that happening in the future? How can I fix that? And the focus, like in terms of the number of seconds you spend on the positive ones versus the negative ones, mm-hmm. you can choose to spend a lot of time on the positive ones when nothing negative has happened. Right. Like a lot Mm -hmm. of the because maybe over seven hours of a shift or eight hours or nine hours of shift or more, um, they might all be positive. And then you have like something negative happen for like and and maybe it occupies your thinking work for half an hour. Um, But what you remember is seven and a half hours of nothing and half an hour of like disaster. Yeah. So a lot of this is about staying with those positive moments and, and And perspective. Yeah. Yeah. Just being present in the really positive experiences so that, um, when you have those negative experiences, you have these really good counter examples. So maybe you have this negative social experience, like maybe, um, the person makes like an unspoken, maybe judgy thing, like says something judgy, maybe about like sexuality. Like maybe it's kind of like they say something slut shamey and you're like, oh, this person may not actually share my values and maybe I feel less comfortable around this person or maybe they say something um, that's very judgy on something totally different. Maybe something really STI stigmatizing or maybe Mm -hmm. it's something very mental health stigmatizing, like something that like makes it hard to feel safe around that person in a a sort of, in a way that's important to you Mm -hmm. because it doesn't have to be anything that's like tangible or specific. It doesn't have to be like, they did this thing, I have this evidence, therefore. It can Mm -hmm. just be like, oh, this person said this thing and a lot of people that have been dangerous to me in the past have said this something very similar. Mm -hmm. Now I'm unsure whether they're totally safe or maybe dangerous and that causes me anxiety and, you know, Mm -hmm. now it occupies your whole evening. Like that kind of bullshit. Yeah. (laughs) It's like, how did it get to this? Um, So part of the heal process is the last stage, which is link, which is where you take really positive experiences and you link them with less intense negative versions of something related. So maybe you can't change the one coworker that has a lot of mental health stigma. You just can't change them. You're not going to. It's not necessarily going to produce healthy or helpful thought patterns to Mm -hmm. try and think of ways to change them. And even if you invest all that emotional energy, they may literally never change. You can't control what they believe. You can't control their behavior. But you can think about the underlying beliefs associated with that that really bother you. So maybe it really bothers you because um, that person has all the stigma against mental health. And what that really does is stir up other people in your life that really matter to you that have a lot of mental health stigma. Mm -hmm. Or maybe it's it's attacking beliefs that you hold that are really important for self-esteem because if you held that stigma internally, it would be so destructive. So you can think about all the times you've had really positive reinforcement about mental health and you can sort of sit in and amongst those positive experiences and do your best to sort of gently hold up the negative experience alongside all of these overwhelmingly positive experiences And ideally, you only hold the negative experience as long as you're able to hold a bigger positive experience. And the second you feel like that potato is getting too hot, you drop it and you go back to just focusing on only the positive imagery. And after you've done sort of one of these 
sessions, say 10 minutes or so of just like focusing on all of the positive ways that people have seen you as you are and supported and loved you as a person that happens to have like a different sort of brain that experiences depression and anxiety or a person who has mental illness, if you characterize it like that. Um, cool. And that hopefully will lead you to a place where after about an hour of mostly neutral events afterwards, um, you'll be able to, like your brain will sort of document those two things side by side and there'll be a lot less charge in the negative thing. It's associating the two things together. It'll be less impactful. Yeah. And then if it happens again, the memories are associated together. So it's, you know how, have you ever had the experience of an internal, um, train of thought like almost is the best way i can describe it so internal monologuing is a thing Mm -hmm. and i don't mean like self-talk so this is something i learned really recently because i used to say internal monologue to mean my constant stream of things i'm saying to myself Mm -hmm. and apparently that's supposedly not academically correct which is fine people can colloquially use words how they want but um it's useful in this in this instance to talk about the difference so an internal monologue is like Someone at work says something stigmatizing about mental health, and then I see a flash of my dad saying something similar, and then I think about my a recent dispute I had with my brother, and then I have a flash of this image of a look at my partner's face around something I said around um, mental health, and like all of these things start building a narrative, and it's a monologue because like you don't really get a chance to answer it. It's flashes of images mm-hmm. and memories of experiences, and it's like they're all tightly associated. Mm-hmm. And it's just the way certain brains function that we have a tendency to associate things and experience like holistic patterns of behavior in our social network. That's not inherently unhealthy at all. In fact, that's like a strong thing that brains can do. The issue that can sort of come up is when we use this negatively and only negatively. Mm-hmm. So rather than having that negative thing happen and then thinking about all the positive things that discount that and jumping on that train of thought, right? You can really harness that internal monologue as a means of defending yourself against mm-hmm. negative thoughts by having a really positive internal monologue. Um, but that isn't usually where people start. Yeah. <laughs> Unless they're really lucky and like, good for you, people. I'm giving you a golf clap in my head right now. Yeah. I did not start there. No. I'm still working on that. It's fucking hard. Yeah. It's, really it's a hard. daily thing. Yeah. For sure. So you have experienced an internal monologue then? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And it's usually a spiral in the negative. Yeah. Like I I default negatively most of the time. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's funny too, because as you were describing before about these positive experiences, I'm a huge sucker for sunsets and sunrises and beautiful landscapes and beauty in nature and animals and just things that are beautifully just naturally occurring. And even with people, like beautiful moments with people where my faith in humanity is restored in fleeting moments and, um, you know, just little small interactions and um, impactful things. Um, But yeah, I've definitely, definitely can say I can relate to that and that I've experienced that internal monologue. Mm -hmm. How does it land for you talking about using it as like a positive like trying to have a positive internal monologue where you actively focus on, okay, I can have this one positive thought. What is another time in my life I've had that? What would a flash of a feeling around that feel like? What did it feel like in my body? When have I experienced this before? Like asking those questions. Mm-hmm. I don't 
like I think that I've tried something similar in the past where if I'm having a difficult moment and I'm really struggling to think of something positive, I just try to, I always try to revert or think about things that I'm grateful for, like return to gratitude and mm. my perspective just in general. Because because I do default negatively, sometimes, sometimes I am not able to see past the negative and I just like to sit in that. And I just want to be alone and I want to oh, be at home and I just want to sit in my negative feelings and I want to feel them and I want to listen to sad songs and I want to cry about it and and it feels good. Yep. It is a very satisfying place for me as yeah. well. It's, I mean, think about it. I've literally, it's comfortable. I've been doing it my whole life, yeah. like since I was like six, right? Like yeah. I've been doing it my whole life. It's familiar. It's comfortable. It's just. Yeah. I know how to behave there. Yeah. I know, I know how to be safe there mm-hmm. and I feel good at it. Mm-hmm. I can be very close to suicide and not kill myself. Oh, same. I have a lot of coping strategies. Absolutely. And I feel a little bit badass doing that because mm-hmm. I'm good at doing that. I'm good at be- staying alive in situations mm-hmm. where I don't feel like anyone should have to be. <laughs> yeah. Um, for and sure. I've been really trying to move away from that place. I've been making like a really, yeah, just a really committed effort to like do more counseling. Um, mm-hmm. Have I told you about the 72 hour program I'm in? It's ridiculous. Sort of. Yeah. Yeah. It's Blech, so much it's four one and a half hour sessions a week yeah. um so it's like interpersonal therapy cognitive behavioral therapy shame and resilience training training and assertiveness training you wouldn't think yeah. that assertiveness training needs to be in there i didn't think i needed any help with assertiveness i'm typically a very extroverted person i feel very comfortable talking to people and in some situations i feel very comfortable being assertive with like what i need mm-hmm but like the way they define assertiveness is the way I almost define relationship anarchy, mm-hmm. which is this idea of like you put forward what needs you have and you don't have the expectation other people are going to meet them. Mm-hmm. You're just like, you're like, here are all of the components that I need. And other people can be like, cool, I'm willing to meet those needs or here are the needs I have. Is there any overlap? Um, like assertiveness for me, I mostly found in relationship anarchy and looking at the assertiveness training I'm doing now, it's really getting me to focus on like, what are the ways in which you don't act assertively? And I'm like video games. Mm-hmm. When my friends are like, hey, do you want to play this video game? If I don't want to play that video game, it is very hard for me to say no. It's just like, it is a social, mo- it's like it's part of the mores of that community. It's mm-hmm. like, if someone's inviting you to game with them, it's an invitation for like a social exchange that mm-hmm. has less to do with the game and more to do with the person. An and acceptance. Be, and absolutely. And my fear behind that lack of assertiveness, that passive behavior is if I ask for what I want, people won't want to be around me. Right? Like I'll just say no to gaming and then they'll ask me less and then our friendship will deteriorate and eventually they won't be in my life anymore. Mm-hmm. That's my fear whether there's actually any rationale, like any reason to that or any likelihood of that, I don't know. But that is like the gripping fear that keeps me away from assertive behavior and asking for what I want. And as I've been finding, um, as I've been pushing harder to just ask for what I need and be truthful when people are like, do you want to play this game? I'm really excited about playing this game. I'd be like, I'm really not feeling it tonight. Mm -hmm. Um, Here's some other options I'd be willing to play. Like I'm really trying to focus on doing that. It sounds like such a simple thing, but it can be so hard to be assertive when you aren't assertive already. 
Yeah, you know what? I find it really hard to say no a lot of the time. Oh. And it, especially when it involves the social acceptance or social oh, invitations. Yeah. Um, the other night, for instance, I had two separate friends' birthday parties. And I had made plans with another friend to go to these parties together. A friend who I very much enjoy spending time with. She's lovely. She actually has been greatly helping me with my just feeling um, like feeling loved and appreciated. And she's just one of those super supportive friends to have. And I really just love her to bits. And um, so anyways, uh, I just, I've been working all weekend and I've been super tired lately. And I just had to tell her, you know what, like, I'm the kind of person that when I commit to plans, I absolutely 100% do not want to bail on those plans. Even if I just don't want to do anything and I want to stay at home and I want to hermit, like I much rather go out and be uncomfortable and fulfill my commitments with my friends than than be somebody who's constantly bailing and, and flaking on my friends because I don't appreciate it when people do that to me constantly. And yet on the other side of the coin, I can also understand the whole last minute feeling uncomfortable and not wanting to go out and having to take a self-care night because that's what I had to do that night oh yeah it's like I, I was so overwhelmed in my feelings and my anxiety was so out of control that I just honestly just could not leave my house like I just did not have it in me and I I wished my friends well and I you know and I and I want to spend time with them like I said like I want to be there for them and I want to be a good friend and I want to celebrate and have a good time and be around beautiful people but <laughs> you know <laughs> um sometimes i i need to and i've been working on that a lot lately is taking time for myself and focusing on what i need and focusing on what i want to do um with my time and with myself and with my mental health and and what do i need to um to help mitigate some of the issues that i struggle with on a daily basis with this anxiety and whatnot so Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Hmm. social acceptance is a hard one for me mm -hmm. something that i have a lot of anxiety around social stuff i've just like i was bullied a lot in school and i faced a lot of rejection in young adulthood mm -hmm. and like that's fine like i i mean i say that but like fuck it fucked up insecure neurotic and emotional yeah exactly <laughs> yeah i'm all those things um especially around social anxiety and just like around acceptance of people i have like I have just come to this deep place of acceptance that like everyone will eventually leave in one form or another, whether they die or not, whether I die first, like no one is permanent in my life. Mm -hmm. And I think coming to a really solid, a solid acceptance of that has made relating to people so much more bearable. Like I don't have anxiety about them leaving because I just accept one day they'll leave. And that's part of what makes the time I have with them very valuable. Hmm. It like, does it hopefully prevents me taking them for granted mm -hmm. and allows me to really just enjoy when they're in my life and really share with them when I want to mm -hmm. like really being willing to be vulnerable. Cause it's like, well, you can choose to never be vulnerable to anyone ever again, or you can just respect that people are never going to be permanent in your life. And that's okay. At least this is my perspective, right? Mm -hmm. Some would argue it's not a healthy perspective and that you can absolutely have people in your life forever, but I don't believe that. Honestly, personally. I, I don't think it's right for one person to say what is healthy and what is unhealthy yeah. for everyone. Yeah. Because sure, there's unhealthy and healthy behaviors in general. Sure. Certain foods that might be healthy versus unhealthy. Sure. But I think that 
everybody's journey is so unique and so much their own that maybe what's unhealthy for somebody might be healthy and might be mm. desperately needed for somebody else. You know what I mean? Yeah. Even thinking of power exchange. Yeah. Like, I mean, that's a consent thing, but yeah, some people may not want any power exchange consensually mm -hmm. or otherwise. And for other people, it might be very healthy and, you know, really good for them. Mm -hmm. It might resonate really well with them. I just saw an opportunity and I was like, oh, this it is was, perfect. You're so good at segueing between topics that it's hard to end episodes because we just get onto another great topic. We have yeah. good convers it's a good conversationalism. Like, you're a good conversationalist is what I'm trying to say. Thank you. You're welcome. So how was it, Intimates? Did you love something you heard? Or maybe you're upset by something I said? Leave your comments on facebook.com slash intimate interactions. Or you can go to patreon.com slash Victor Salmon where you can find our Discord server. All of these communities are available on intimatepodcast.com, and I genuinely look forward to speaking with you soon. If you liked it, please consider helping us pay for show costs over at Patreon for as little as $1 per month. It's incredibly helpful. It's just a dollar a month. If you can afford it, we would hugely appreciate having your support. And hey, if that doesn't work for you, I completely understand. You can also help out by going to leave a review on iTunes or other favorite social media platform. Social proof like that helps so much with visibility and audience building. It helps other intimacy and relationship nerds find us. And if any of that just sounds like too much work, you can always do something really simple and it still goes a long way. Something like just tapping share and sending an episode that you liked, maybe a favorite, to a friend or partner, or maybe you can send them something you think they might really like. That's probably more considerate. <laughs> Thanks so much for your time and for your help in keeping us making more of Intimate Interactions. Oh yeah, I almost forgot. The intro music was Driving in the Rain by Timecrawler, and this outro music is Acoustic Blues by Jason Shaw.